Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. teaching text is read today from John 15 verse 12 to 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. Good morning. Ah, there we go. I feel very loved right now. Um, it's good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name's Andy. I'm part of the team here. If you are a guest or a visitor, um, if you've come with a family member or a friend, uh, we are thrilled that you're here. We hope you feel really at home and very welcome uh, among us. Uh, like Lou said, tribes are now live. Wave at me if you've signed up to a tribe. Don't be shy, nice and high. Right, the rest of you will, are on notice. Um, um, I just want to uh, really encourage you to prioritize next Sunday evening, okay? So next Sunday night, like Lou said, we're going to gather here. And uh, really the point of next Sunday night is so that you can meet the tribe leaders at the tribe that you've signed up to and other people that are going to be in your tribe for the sole purpose that if after Sunday night you go, they are flipping weird, you can change tribes. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be awkward. You know, you don't have to like go to their house and then be like, oh no, I'm here now. And I'm just kidding, kind of. <laughs> if you've never been to a tribe before, uh, next Sunday night is a great space for us all to get together and talk about how they're going to work, what's going to happen. You'll get to meet the kind of people that you're uh, going to be with and all that sort of stuff. So please, please kind of encourage you to prioritize next Sunday night. Even if you're not quite ready to sign up for a tribe and you feel like that's maybe uh, too far a stretch for you, come next Sunday night um, and uh, you'll get a vibe of what they're going to be like and all those sorts of things. So, we are finishing off our community series this morning. It's been lots of conversation over the last couple of weeks in the office about whether this should be community with eyebrows down or eyebrows up, you know, so like community or community. I'm in favor of eyebrows down. I think eyebrows up is a little bit suggestive, you know. Um, any of you that are single in the room, just try that out, you know. Find somebody that you're attracted to and just, you know, eyebrows up community, no? Uh, maybe not. Um, all right. Um, Anyway, we've been talking over the past few weeks about what community is really all about and uh, why is it important um, for any of you that are familiar with the New Testament at all, um, you will see that right at the heart of it is this idea of community and friendship. James did a brilliant job uh, first week 
uh, challenging us with the truth that living in community requires us to move from a posture of selfishness to selflessness, from laziness to love, and from simply being family as like a metaphor to learning how to become family as a way of practicing and doing life. And last week, Stu shared what community actually looked like and shared with us that community um, looks like us not settling for friendship groups and circles that, with, with people that just look like us. I actually, 11 years ago, took that challenge in the New Testament really seriously and uh, thought it would be helpful for my marriage to become a metaphor for that. So, um, hence the lovely Dana. That was a joke. I did not marry Dana because you're like, wow, Andy, that's kind of weird. I married the lovely Dana because I fell in love with her. And, um, yeah, um, so, (laughs) yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Eleven years in, you learn how to do that kind of thing. Um, anyway, uh, this mad family, the family of God called the church, is supposed to be built by the Holy Spirit, not by us. And when the Holy Spirit is allowed to be himself, what he actually builds is a beautiful community where there is incredible unity in diversity. That is so, so, so important. I hope you understand that we live in a cultural moment where it seems like the world around us is moving into silos at an increasingly rapid rate where people do life and share life with people only that look like them, think like them, and behave like them. And we are the poorer for it. But when the Holy Spirit is allowed to be himself, what he builds is a beautifully diverse community where race, socioeconomic background, age, and gender barriers are broken down. And Stu challenged us last week that if, if you were able to actually peer in through the window of a New Testament church gathering, you would be shocked at who was sharing food together that all of the normal barriers or places where people like that don't actually do life with people like that and people that think that never share meals with people who think that was absolutely obliterated in the early church. You see, the church of Jesus has the potential to become the most beautiful community on the planet when we allow the Holy Spirit to be in charge. And this morning, I wanna wrap things up talking about why community really matters. Like, why is this thing called community so important to God and so important for us to learn how to practice it properly and in a healthy way? For any of you who have been around church for a while in one place or another, you have probably heard the gospel presentation that sounds something like this. You need to understand that you have a God-shaped hole in your life. And until you allow God to come in and fill that void or that gap, your life will be deficient. In fact, you will probably find yourself pursuing and chasing all sorts of different experiences, encounters, and even chemicals to fill that void. But whenever you actually understand that God loves you, that he's for you, and that he wants to actually be involved in your life and you allow him, something changes. That's absolutely true, that all of us 
have a desperate soul craving to be connected to God. But the sermon that we preach much less often and is somewhat much less palatable, but it's equally true that yes, we have a space or a soul craving for God in our lives, but we also have a people-shaped hole in our lives. That God actually created us with equally a soul craving to be in community, to be connected not just with God, but with other people who love us and share and do life with us. We've been talking for weeks now that we were created by a community designed to live in community. And like James talked about two weeks ago, the truth of the matter is loneliness is actually bad for your health. It's actually bad for your health. Not just your mental health, but actually your physical health. This is proven in medical research that loneliness has an effect on your health. Why? Because God didn't design you to be lonely. For some of you, that's enough for this morning. You need to know that God's desire for your life is not that you would be lonely, but that we would learn how to live in a flourishing community together. I want to unpack uh, John 15 for us today as we reflect on why this matters. If you've got a Bible beside you, why don't you open to page 748? 748. You can go there now. <clears throat> John 15. We're going to read again from verse 12. We got there. 748. I'll give you a minute. If you only ever read the Bible on your phone, you're probably going to hell, so that should, um, yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding, totally joking, totally joking, but it is important that you read a paper one because they're not quite as distracting, right? Um, some of you are like, should I put my phone away now? <laughs> I'm kidding. John 15 verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and speak and challenge us. Come and illuminate your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just as we get started and as we land uh, this series, there's kind of a rather giant elephant in the room that I want to address before we go any further, and this is it, that community is hard. 
Living in community is incredibly difficult. Have any of you experienced that before? Any of you got people in your lives that like, you know, life would just be easier if they weren't in them? Don't wave at me. Don't look sideways. That'll be awkward. <laughs> one of the best, one of the best and worst things about living in Northern Ireland is you're never that far from your family, right? Like it's amazing and yet sometimes it's incredibly annoying. Like our, our families are those people, usually anyway, that love us unconditionally and get on our nerves like no one else, right? Whenever we used to live in America and I was studying out there and working for a church, um, my wee nana used to phone me every Sunday at the same time. And every Sunday she'd phone me and I would say, Nana, this is really like the worst time in the week for you to phone me. And she'd go, okay, okay, okay. Well, how are you doing anyway? And every single week we had the same, we had the same conversation. And what was amazing was it was equally as frustrating as it was loving. There was something about her rhythm of just needing to check in with me on a weekly basis that was incredibly sweet. And there was something else that happened to me when I was in the middle of something really important. My phone starts to ring and I look and it says, we Nana across it. I was like, oh, for goodness sake, every single week at the same time. The reality is, that community costs. There is a price we pay to live in community with each other. And that idea in and of itself is swimming against or upstream in the culture that we live in today. There are two ideas that govern so many of our decisions and our life choices, whether you're overly aware of them or not. Two questions that kind of explode in our mind almost every time we get an opportunity or an invitation or something happens. The questions go something like this. Is it convenient? And will it make my life more comfortable? Is it convenient and will it make my life more comfortable? You know, there used to be a time in history when all of the toothpaste sold in the world had a screw top. Any of you get frustrated with screw top toothpaste? Any of you mad enough to still buy screw top toothpaste? Like who buys screw top toothpaste these days? It's the most annoying thing in the world. Brianny Bradley, shame on you. Sort that out. Like screw top toothpaste, right? So you have to like set your toothbrush down unscrew the toothpaste, put it onto the toothbrush, risk knocking the top off onto the floor, depending on how often you clean your bathroom, that can be that whole tube of toothpaste done. Like you can't put it back on and then it gets all crusty and then it's like, oh goodness me, there's another pound 20 or whatever it costs for toothpaste these days. Then some saint in the world had this idea. What about a flip top? And he saved thousands of marriages all over the world. <laughs> and this would really help, guys. I promise. <laughs> you know, there used to be a time in our marriage when, you know, I don't know if you know, notice this or any of you can relate to this, but, you know, like, you're brushing your teeth. It's kind of a weird moment, right? Because you don't really think about your teeth while you're brushing your teeth. At least I don't. I think about the million things that I've got to do that day and the most pressing one that I need to do as soon as I'm finished, Right? So as soon as I finish brushing my teeth, I am so aware of this really important thing I've got to do. And it's so easy to just forget to put the top back on the tooth 
toothpaste. And then I'd be off doing that important thing and then from somewhere in our house, a bathroom, I start to hear Dana saying things about me that aren't very kind. <laughs> no more. Doesn't happen anymore. The flip top solved that. You know the truth is that the convenience industry is worth billions of pounds every single year. There are whole departments of entire industries trying to simply answer this question. How do we make our products and our services more convenient for people? And you know the irony with that? The irony is that as the priority for convenience has risen in our lives and has all sorts of things have become more efficient and more effective, you can equally track the amount of stress and pressure in our lives. It doesn't make any sense. It's like as all sorts of things have become more convenient, we as a people have become more stressed. The pace of our lives has increased. The pressures on our lives have increased. You know, most global cities nowadays, there's no such thing as takeaway anymore. There's order and wait. Some guy comes on a bike and here's your takeaway. I was chatting with a friend recently um, on a Friday evening. We were, we were out climbing and uh, I said, how's your week been? He said, and he had the most amazing experience last evening. So it was a Thursday night. It was a beautiful summer's evening. He was coming home from work. He works in Dizzy Hill, Newry. And he stopped off in Banbridge and he went into the butcher to get some stuff for his barbecue. And uh, he got chatting with the butcher and he was just about to close and well, barbecue with the kids and a whole kind of conversation. He was like, what are you looking for? And he said, well, like that, what is that? And he said, it's like a pork thing with a really amazing marinade. And he said, oh, I really don't, we don't really eat pork, but have you got any chicken with that marinade on? He's like, I'll just make you some. And so he nipped off and they're having this whole conversation about life and family and kids. And he made up the marinade, marinated the chicken. He paid his money and he handed it over. And then he went across to the bakery to get some stuff for the kids' hot dogs and chatting to the lady in the bakery. And she was about to close up too. And she was like, you, you look hungry. And she passed him six donuts across the counter for free because she was done for the day and she wasn't able to sell them. And then he went on down to buy a bottle of wine and he went into the, the wine shop. And the guy said, are you looking for anything particular? He said, I don't really know much about wine. He said, here, actually, I've just opened this. Do you want to taste a wee bit and see if you like it. And he tasted this wine. He was like, that'll do me. And he bought the wine. He was like, I just found myself in these three conversations with these three people who were interested in my life, who went over and above and beyond what they needed to do. And I find myself going, I never want to go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's ever again. This is something about our addiction to convenience and comfort that actually leaves our lives deficient of what we long for. Looking in the eyeball of another human being who sees us and we see them and there is a value exchange that is immeasurable in monetary value. It is so important that we understand this. When we worship at the altars of comfort and convenience. They leave us burnt out, stressed out, and exhausted. Constantly thinking if somebody else could just create another app for that, then my life would be better. This is important that you hear this this morning. Living 
in community. The way God defines it and designed it is neither comfortable nor convenient. This is so important that we have a define the relationship moment, right? It's like, what are we really doing here? Because if your lens for community in church is, is it comfortable and is it convenient? Then the answer is loudly, absolutely not. And if that's what you're looking for, you will not find it here. You lot make me uncomfortable. It's just the truth. Doing life with lots of you is inconvenient. Phone at odd times, ask for weird things. It's not convenient. It's not that comfortable either. But community is what we long for. We crave it. And our lives are deficient without it. Jesus invites us to live into so much more than comfort and convenience. He invites us to live at a whole other standard and he defines it in this really simple four-letter word called love. One theologian put it this way, we cannot live unaffected by love. We are most alive when we find it, most devastated when we lose it, most empty when we give up on it, most inhumane when we betray it, and most passionate when we pursue it. It's interesting, people like me in moments like this use this word invitation because it's palatable and soft and the truth is in this text, it's not an invitation at all. Jesus looks at those who are following him and says, this is my command. This is my command. Not my suggestion or my, your life would be a little bit better if. This is my command that you would love each other. And he goes on, just in case we were wondering to define what love actually looks like by saying this. There is no greater love that you can have than a love that causes you to lay your life down for your friends. Love is sacrifice. Not love is sacrificial sometimes. Love is sacrifice. I've done uh, three weddings in the past 10 days, I think, something like that. And um, basic marriage prep that we do is helping, you know, uh, you remember Bambi, Twitter-pated? Twitter-pated resonate with anybody? No? That's just my brain went there for a second. All right, cool. So whenever you see young couples that are infatuated with each other, one of the things that I, I love to do is help them understand that love is way more about behavior than emotion. That we confuse this all the time, that we think love is emotion. But if you actually look at how the New Testament talks about love, and particularly that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, all of the words are active words, behaving words. 
Love is something that we do, not something just that we feel. Of course, it involves our emotions, but Jesus' command to love each other is followed by a pretty high bar of what that looks like, to lay down our lives for the sake of others. That is what love is. And the good news for all of us is it is something that you can learn to do. It's not just something that you have to feel. Love is something that we learn to practice. And the danger with texts like these is that they can so easily lead us to the kind of place where we say, well, that's a bit extreme. Like, I'm, I'm sure Jesus doesn't really want me to lay my life down for all the people that he has brought into it. After all, I'm just here for the music. In this community, we are working out together what it means for us to learn how to surrender our entire lives to the rule and the reign of Jesus. That's what being a Christian is. That we allow him to become the boss of our lives. And like I said earlier, Jesus doesn't say in this text, this is my suggestion. He's not saying, hey church, I'd really love it if you would learn how to love each other every once in a while. He's not saying, you know, I'd love it if you could kind of, you know, get to know somebody who's a little bit different from you and, you know, learn how to do life together. No, he says, this is my command that you would love each other. And then this is where it gets a little bit awkward for people like me having to do this kind of thing. Verse 14, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. That's just like, oh, Jesus, did you really have to say that? Like, it's easy to deal with Jesus who goes, love each other and lay your lives down for each other. And we're like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to get on with that and I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, it's a really difficult person over there, Lord. Can you work on them before you want me to love them? And he goes on. You're my friends if you do what I say. The inference, if you don't do what I say, I'm not sure you know me. I'm not sure you can associate yourself with me if you're not prepared to do what I say. Do you remember the story of my friend who's planning a church and the lady came one Sunday and she was new and he went over and he said, hey, are, are you new? Can I help you get connected? And she's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm just looking for a wee part-time church. That's not compatible with Jesus. It's utterly compatible with the religious hangover that exists in the atmosphere of this weird wee place we call Northern Ireland. Where somehow you think, you know, you're somehow doing a little bit better than somebody else if you drag yourself here on a Sunday morning for an hour. Jesus longs for so much more than that for your life. So much more. Jesus is saying that our very ability to count ourselves as belonging to him is related to our ability to love each other. It's a perhaps predictable follow-on from John 13 where Jesus says, the primary strategy by which God will identify us in the world around us as being his is by the measure of our love for each other. That's how they know that there's something different going on here. 
that's how the world knows that there's something other at work because people who shouldn't do life together are doing life together. People who it makes no sense for them to be at a table sharing a meal together are not just at a table sharing a meal, but are actually learning how to sacrifice for the sake of each other. Jesus goes on in this passage to say that he has chosen us and appointed us to do something. Verse 16, he says, I chose you and appointed you that you will go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Why is community important? Because there is no lasting kingdom fruit in isolation. There is no such thing as fruit that lives beyond you that just flows out of you. His desire for us is that our lives would bear fruit that would live beyond us. And that requires community. Fruitfulness in the kingdom has a context and that context is community because it is only in community that we are confronted with our mess and our brokenness and we are led by the Holy Spirit to change and transform. This is why community is so important. There is no transformation without it. You know how I discover I'm selfish? By one of you calling me on an evening that's free and asking me for something. That's the confrontation moment. I'm like, oh, I really don't feel like that. That's really not convenient. Jeez, that's uncomfortable. I'm gonna have to go out or I'm gonna have to go somewhere. I'm gonna have to do something right now. It is in community that we are confronted with ourselves. But of course, the impulse is the opposite, right? It's in community that we confront others. So a difficult conversation comes, a difficult behavior comes, and we instantly go to that flipping Egypt's at it again. I can't believe that person did that thing. I can't believe they said it that way. Can you believe them? And rather than using community to be a mirror to what's going on in our own hearts, so often we use community to stand in judgment over other people and the whole thing gets flipped upside down, twisted and broken. Community is the context God uses to transform us. How many of you over the last uh, year have heard about the climbing documentary called Free Solo? Just wave at me if you know what I'm talking about with Free Solo, a few of you, okay, great. So, there's this mad climber called Alex Honnold, right? He's one of the best rock climbers in the world and uh, he climbs Free Solo, which basically is a way of climbing. So he basically goes and climbs these mad routes with no ropes, no protection, no nothing. If he falls off, he dies, right? And uh, he convinced some friends or some friends convinced him to uh, make a documentary of him free soloing El Cap, which is like one of the biggest vertical rock faces in the world. And the media went mad for it, absolutely mad for it. You can go home and check it out. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't watched it. 
and uh, which is kind of funny. People find I, most of you know I climb. That's kind of what I do in my spare time for fun. And uh, people find out that I haven't watched it. They're like, "What's that about?" And I'm so, I'm be honest with you. I have a love-hate relationship with the entire concept. Most of the really good free solo climbers in history all have died climbing. Eventually, something happens. A hold breaks. A bird flies out. Something happens, and they fall off and die. And as I've kind of reflected on uh, the documentary and all that sort of stuff, I, I couldn't help but notice, and this is none of the filmmakers or Alex Honnold's fault, I just think it's an incredible illustration of the lie that exists in the very concept of the documentary, that we are free when we're solo. That if you really want freedom, then get rid of all of the expectations of other people on your life. Get rid of the difficult people. Shake off that stuff that other people put on you and learn how to live free and solo. There's another uh, climbing documentary that came out in the same time period that's got way less media attention called The Dawn Wall. And The Dawn Wall is about a climber called Tommy Caldwell. And Tommy and his friend decide to go and try and climb the hardest route, rock climbing route in the world. And they spend literally months and years trying to climb this route. And eventually, there's one section of it that is uh, what we would know as the crux. It's the hardest part of the climb. And it takes them forever. And it looks like they're not going to be able to do it and all this sort of stuff. And eventually, Tommy climbs it. And he gets past it and there's this moment of elation in the documentary and he's actually made it and it looks like he's going to be able to actually get this route done because there's a way for him essentially to just help his climbing partner bypass it and they can finish the route together. And he has this moment on a little portal edge, a bit of canvas kind of hung off the side of this cliff where he realizes this achievement is meaningless if I don't do it with my friend. And so he goes back down and he helps his friend figure out how he can actually climb it too. It's the most beautiful and profound thing where he's like, on my own, this means nothing. And it's interesting that Free Solo has got the world's attention and it's really only climbers know anything about Don Wall. Free Solo is a lie. Free Solo is actually prison solo, where every time someone comes into your life and they're difficult or you find it hard, you're like, just that relationship's just too much, too difficult, whatever, I need to go and find somebody else, you'll just love me for me. And they'll not point out any of my difficult things, they'll not provoke any hard stuff, they'll, you know, they'll just love me for me. It's a lie because it's only in community that we are confronted with the mess and brokenness in our lives. And it is in that very confrontation that Jesus, by his spirit, leads us through and out of those things. The reality is all of the dysfunction and mess and brokenness in our lives, God longs to set us free from them. But the way that happens is in community. It is as we get to step out of the lie that says, if they knew, they would never love me. It's a lie. But it's only in the risk of going, here I am, that we as a community get to go, 
We see you, and God loves you, and let's walk together as he leads you through this stuff. It is only in community that God sets us free. That's his desire, that's his longing. It is in community that we are truly set free in Christ and it is only in community that our lives actually bear fruit that lives beyond us. So what are we gonna do? What are you gonna do? One of the things about talks like these that really frustrate me is that there's actually no sermon or prayer ministry or holy moment that can actually settle or solve this for you. I love all of those things. But this community of Lagan Valley Vineyard only gets to become that kind of community as we together decide that we are going to learn how to love each other and not just those that we find easy or that we get on with naturally. When we decide together that we're gonna learn how to love each other in a self-sacrificing way, that this thing actually gets to become alive around us. James, why don't you guys come up? I wanna read the lyrics of a, a um, worship song uh, over us and um, we'll respond in a minute or two. But if it's, if it's helpful for you, would you close your eyes for a second? And I wanna read this as uh, perhaps something God might be saying over you and your posture towards community this morning. So why don't you, why don't you close your eyes Listen to to these words. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. There is no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown and I hold the key. Because I loved you before you knew it was love. And I saw it all and I still chose the cross. And you were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. Now rid of the shackles, my victory's yours. I tore the veil for you to come close. There's no reason to stand at a distance anymore. You're not far from home. Now I'll be your lighthouse when you're lost at sea. And I will illuminate everything. No need to be frightened by intimacy. Just throw off your fear and come running to me. Just throw off your fear and come running to me. Lagan Valley Vineyard, the way that God demonstrates his unconditional 
love for us is by how we, in his name, treat each other. It's very easy for us to sit quietly on our own reflecting on how much God loves us, but that becomes alive when you experience that in community. It's one of the reasons why from the very beginning we said, just about the only thing that will get you kicked out of this community is judgment. Standing in judgment over other people, their past, their decisions, their choices, what's going on in their lives. Why? Because God looks at us in our mess and says, come home to me. Let me love you, let me restore you, and let me set you free from those mistakes or those labels or those habits or those addictions. Let me set you free from them. And the way I'm gonna do that is by bringing people into your life to look at them with you and say they don't define you. This is how it works. It's the church Jesus died for. It's the church he longs for us to become. And so this morning, my question to you is, will you love each other? Will you love each other? Not the people that are in the same demographic as you or have the same interests as you or are easy to get on with. Will you love each other? Because it's his command, not mine. If you're able, will you stand? judging yourself it's much more sneaky and subtle stronghold that the enemy has in our lives where we actually stand in judgment over ourselves in a way that God doesn't stand over us so the band are going to lead us in worship in a second and I just want to encourage you maybe it'd be helpful to kneel or place a hand on your heart, but if you know that just an attitude of judgment has crept into your heart towards yourself or towards others, then let Jesus by his spirit set you free from that. And that's a really easy thing. Jesus, I am so sorry for judging people in my life. Jesus, I am so sorry for judging myself, excluding myself saying that I'll never be worthy of you again. I'm sorry. Forgive me and restore me. It is as simple as that. Can you just allow, just open your heart and your mind for a second. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does. And repent and embrace.
embrace the freedom that he wants to release into and over us this morning.